0: welcome to now charleston i'm sam spence it's friday june 24th now charleston takes a look at a handful of issues three times a week and tells you why they're important hope you've had a good week another one gone by pretty quickly seems like got another friday show for you today so let's get going joe cunningham rolled out a new proposal thursday that has people talking two words geriatric oligarchy How a Supreme Court ruling in a case from Maine could impact education in South Carolina. The county-owned Joseph Floyd Manor downtown is set to be torn down and rebuilt. The county also has set aside millions that could go to help homeowners stay in their homes in Charleston County. And it's Friday, so I have a few things to check out this weekend in Charleston. All that and more, starting now. Well, I told you Joe Cunningham would make this governor's race interesting, didn't I? Here's his latest campaign ad out yesterday. Have you ever noticed that politicians hardly ever retire? Our country and our state are being run by a geriatric oligarchy. People who stay in office way past their prime. I mean, some of these folks have been clinging on to power for 30, 40, even 50 years. The same people running our country and our state are the same people who would ask you to come over and reset their router. Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. Router's out again. This is our governor. This is his first ad of the general election season, and it's at least a very indicative sign of a different style of campaign than we've seen from Democrats in a while on these governors' races. Um, but to the substance of it, Cunningham is right. The state does have mandatory retirement for judges. Uh, that seems to be the main grounds for the debate here uh, that he's brought up in this race. Um, Cunningham is kind of throwing age limits in there with discussion of term limits, um, which are pretty common to hear about from from uh, potential candidates. Term limits are basically a way to kind of stir up the political class so that people don't stay in too long, and requires new people to to rotate in and have to run periodically. Talk about the older age of politicians is something you hear about a good bit at the national level, uh, at least. People my age, mid-30s, talk about it. Three out of the five members of the Democratic leadership in the U.S. House are 80 years old or older, uh, including Congressman Jim Clyburn. Um, But you don't really hear about it talked about as much at the state level. Um, It is convenient here, though, that Governor Henry McMaster is 75. He's the oldest sitting governor the state's ever had. Critics of Cunningham's line of thinking here say that he's being prejudiced against older people, and political observers have wondered why he might seemingly alienate older voters uh, who normally do vote at higher rates than others. But the calculus here is one that there are a ton of younger voters who might agree with him that don't usually vote. And if you can turn out a few thousand of those voters, that's, that may be key if Cunningham is going to have a shot at knocking off McMaster. And so, even if he does make some older voters scratch their heads a little bit over this, he doesn't think that enough of them will vote for McMaster instead, or not vote at all, uh, to make a difference. And yes, Cunningham's proposal has brought President Joe Biden and Clyburn into this discussion, um, both of whom are around 80 years old. Speculations are already swirling around Biden about whether he'll run at all in 2024, partially because he'd be in his mid-80s by the end of a potential second term. During a CNN appearance yesterday, Cunningham kind of tripped over answers about Biden and Clyburn here, though. Um, He tried not to make it about individuals, but I would rather than take these questions about individual people like the CNN host tried to do uh, yesterday on the show. uh, Cunningham just needs to kind of say it's a policy that applies evenly. And yeah, that would include Clyburn, Biden and anyone else who tried to run in South Carolina. After all, he is just talking about South Carolina. But I think the first point is the main thing here, that there are a ton of younger voters and new people that Cunningham's trying to get into the game here. Uh, Cunningham came out of the gate when he announced by saying that he was going to decriminalize marijuana. He's obviously not targeting rank-and-file Democrats. He's trying to get attention of new people, trying to get the attention of new voters to support his candidacy for governor. Will it work? Cunningham's team told me yesterday that the reaction's been positive, and part of Cunningham's race is that McMaster doesn't really have any issues to run on. So we'll see if voters are actually interested in a debate on issues here, and we haven't really had one in a governor's race in a while. So we'll see how or if McMaster starts actually campaigning. A ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court this week ruled that religious schools can't be denied state education funding because of their affiliation with a religious institution. This case is a long time coming for education voucher advocates, particularly conservative voucher supporters who have backed policies for a long time that have expanded the role of religion in American public life. Um, vouchers, a policy where parents and students can choose to take their a rough estimate of their per-student funding and apply it to tuition at any school, including private schools, have been proposed for increased use here in South Carolina for a decade or more. Um, just this year, amid wild national criticism of public education after COVID restrictions and an increasingly loud group of conservatives pushing to kind of defang public education generally, uh, state legislators debated a bill that would create education scholarship accounts, ESAs is what you hear it talked about as, that would allow state money to help subsidize private private education in South Carolina. It's It's the latest kind of voucher initiative. That measure did not pass, but With a little more willpower from Republican legislators, it probably could have. Paul Bowers, who writes about education and other things for his Brutal South newsletter, had a few editions about ESAs and one this week about the ruling out of the main case. Um, Links to those at nowcharleston.com. And related to this... Conservative appointments to the U.S. Supreme Court in recent years have all included judges who have prioritized cases filed by religious interests, challenging laws on religious grounds. So this is something we've been hearing about more and more on the national level, uh, particularly from the U.S. Supreme Court, which now has more conservative uh, judges sitting on it. Not coincidentally, here in South Carolina, some of the first voucher advocates were supporters of religious schools, with the thinking that, If the policy debate can get to a place where public money going to private schools is acceptable, despite constitutional separation of church and state, religious schools wouldn't be too far behind. On the other side, that's also why public school supporters have fought it all that time. Um, And that's exactly what the main ruling did. If a state is allowing public funds to go to a private school, it can't prohibit them from going to a religious private school. I wouldn't expect this to be... Uh, I wouldn't expect this ruling to have an immediate impact in South Carolina, but it could galvanize Republicans next session to get a little more urgency to pass something similar. Mm-hmm. Charleston County is reportedly moving ahead with plans to tear down and replace the Joseph Floyd Manor public housing facility downtown, according to the Post and Courier, uh, the, uh, a building that mostly houses low-income seniors. Joseph Floyd Manor, you've seen it downtown. It's on Mount Pleasant Street, kind of right beside 26. It's that high rise. It's owned by the county and it's come under scrutiny in recent years after it was found to be in disrepair and residents were found to be living in units with bugs, rodents, dust, not to mention drug dealers who were found hanging out on the property. The question now, though, is how the county will manage replacing it. Will it replace it with a single big building like what's there now? Or will residents be moved to other places? The county doesn't usually build big high-rises like this now, um, so that's kind of an unknown at this point. But with local reporting raising awareness of the potentially vulnerable, low-income residents of this building, there should be more eyes on whatever the county decides to do, which is good. (laughs) Also at the county level, leaders have okayed a $20 million housing fund to help relieve housing pressure in Charleston County, according to the Post and Courier. The county has been scrambling since 2020 to figure out how to address housing issues after voters rejected a property tax increase that would have paid for housing initiatives. Critics on both sides of that thought that voters rejected the referendum because they didn't trust the county to properly manage their money. So here we are. But even with this new $20 million, there's not a firm plan on how to spend it. County staff is now developing proposals, then will return to council to get their specifics approved. The new $20 million will also include a fund to help existing homeowners make repairs on their homes so they can afford to stay where they are instead of selling and being forced to move far from their existing communities. This kind of goes along with the Joseph Floyd Manor story. The impacts of displacement and housing affordability are two issues that local officials are trying and struggling, honestly, to grapple with, to avoid the growth in the area, irreparably changing the makeup and fabric of longstanding communities in Charleston. All right, it's Friday. Let's take a look at four ways to spend your last weekend in June. The Charleston Pride Parade is tomorrow downtown on King Street, starting around 9 a.m. It'll start on Ann Street and go south on King Street. There will be Carolina Day observances Saturday and Sunday at Fort Moultrie uh, on the hour from 10 to 3, it looks like, Uh, on the hour on Saturday from 10 to 3, and then on Sunday at uh, 10 and 12, it looks like. Entrance fees are suspended for Saturday and Sunday, which is a plus if you want, if you have never been out to Fort Moultrie. Um, Carolina Day commemorates the Battle of Sullivan's Island in 1776. It's observed on the 28th, but they're doing it over this weekend. The Battle of Sullivan's Island is thought to be the first American victory in our war for independence and the reason why there's a palmetto tree on the state flag. Of course, there's a link to Nick Butler's Charleston Time Machine episode on Carolina Day at nowcharleston.com. The Charleston Gospel Choir will perform a free concert in honor of Denmark Vesey at Second Presbyterian Church at 6 p.m. on Saturday night. And the River Dogs are in town all weekend against the Columbia Fireflies. Games tonight at 7, Saturday at 6, and Sunday at 5. The guys had a come-from-behind win yesterday in the ninth inning with a two-run walk-off home run with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Love to see it. That's all I've got for you today. If you have feedback for the show, you can leave a voice message at 843-474-1319 or email Sam at nowcharleston.com. If you can rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now, that's a big help too. And as always, check nowcharleston.com for links and notes from today's show. To make sure you don't miss anything, follow twitter.com/slash nowcharleston and instagram.com slash nowcharleston. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back on Monday with the next Now Charleston.